Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. This is Muslim Econ Hub episode three. And in episode one, we covered the World Bank and the IMF and International Monetary Fund and uh, some of the problems and the emergence of, in 2018, of the BRICS uh, coalition, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And, you know, there's a lot of geopolitics going on um, at the same time. You know, the second episode, uh, Muslim Econ Hub episode two, we talked about the birth of the U.S. petrodollar. Um, it's also known as the world reserve currency. And the dollar has been used um, since the 1970s. There was a deal struck when OPEC uh, shut down its oil production. There was a deal struck to get it, the oil production going again and lower oil prices. That deal was struck by Henry Kissinger, and during the 70s, um, there was the emergence of the petrodollar, which is the petroleum dollar. All petroleum transactions through OPEC and the major oil-producing nations were, they were going to sell their oil on the world market with dollars. No matter what currency they were in, they were going to exchange it for dollars. And so the dollar was born, the petrodollar, or the world reserve currency was born, and the dollar became dominant. And our stock markets became dominant. Everybody reinvested um, their profits. All the countries in Saudi Arabia, they invest, reinvested their profits back into the United States market. So we got a boost. And then at the same time, Richard Nixon in the 70s, he, um, he took the dollar off of the pegged, in, pegged currency exchanges and he allowed the dollar, dollar to float. But because it was the reserve currency and it was always in demand, it floated higher and became more valuable than the other currencies and had a pretty good run. So then we have, um, today we're gonna cover the potential death of the US dollar. As I mentioned last time, you know, Obama has been printing and printing called quantitative easing since about 2011, 2012. He printed money under his uh, watch. Money was printed for many years and the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve US dollars went from 2 trillion to almost 4 trillion. And then Trump stepped in and Trump, you know, uh, kept printing money and keeping the economy alive and boosting things because no president wants to be in charge of um, a recession. No, all presidents want to be prosperity presidents. And so Trump did it. And then at the end of Trump's reign, you know, or, or, or uh, the election year, Trump ended up getting ousted, but at the end of his last year, we got hit with COVID and he hit the COVID, he passed the COVID relief bill, which was another couple of trillion dollars. And so we went from two trillion to four trillion to six trillion. And then when Obama left, Biden came in and he ran a COVID bill as well. So the dollars are being printed at a very, very fast rate. And now the balance sheet is getting over $7 trillion of dollars printed. But in the meantime, um, the other currencies have not been doing this. They've been trusting and taking the paper dollars. Um, and they've been putting their Audis and their goods and their oil on the market and selling it to us, even though they know that this is kind of a counterfeit game. Um, and so the dollar, people have been talking about the death of the dollar. I personally have been talking about the death of the petrodollar since 2016. And I was so scared, actually um, made a really dumb mistake because of I was so worried is that I took my uh, money out of the markets and invested in some gold and silver. And I lost a lot of money. I could have been making money while all this printing was going on. So I lost the opportunity to 
you know, make a decent amount of money. But at the same time, it's better to be safe than to be greedy. And so Alhamdulillah, you know, I, I did what I did. And uh, but I've been worried about this. And so um, this uh, current situation over the last three weeks, it's kind of interesting. I started this Muslim econ hub group thinking that I'd be talking about how to set up investments. But really, since the last two, three weeks, it's been all about geopolitics. And, you know, Putin and China and Russia, India, China, all these countries have been barking for a long time. And this has kind of come to a head. So now Biden has decided um, that they were, you know, kind of turning Ukraine into a uh, more of a Eastern or Western European power rather than an Eastern European power. And of course, we've got to, you know, turn all these countries that have um, old uh, communist ties into democracies. And so the United States has been working in Ukraine uh, for a long time and they've been making it more and more Western, but at the same time, they've also been uh, prepping it for becoming a NATO state. And Russia, uh, Putin had said, you know, this is my red line, don't poke the bear, don't come here, don't bring NATO right at my doorstep. And of course, um, Biden was feeling the heat about a month and a half ago, you know, but he, uh, him and the warmongers and the bankers decided, you know what, why are we taking this heat? Why don't we just get into another conflict and try to create a scapegoat and distract everybody. Um, you know, they say it's to save lives, but really they're the ones that provoked this trouble. So they're the ones that drew blood first and uh, they knew what the red line was and now they're calling uh, Putin Hitler, but that's exactly not really correct. I mean, they went over there and, and poked the bear. So what has happened? So Putin responded and, um, and then Biden froze his uh, oil purchases and that's the lifeblood of Russia. Russia is... Um, you know, a resource country. It sells lots and lots of resources on the world market for its revenue, and that's how it gets its revenue. It has lumber, copper, diamond, all these things, but it has oil. And so the United States first, they provoked uh, uh, Russia, and now when Russia went in on the aggressive, then they said, oh, you know, you're an aggressive power and you're, uh, you're attacking another country, you're attacking Ukraine. So we are going to shut you down. We're going to stop buying your oil. That's one way to hurt you. But then there's another system, the wire system that uh, transfers money all around the world. It's, it's for the world to transfer money, but the United States owns it. It's called the SWIFT system, the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications, SWIFT. So they call it Society for Worldwide Interbank Transfers, but really it's American-owned. They come up with these you know, names that make it look like it's a, a society, but no, really it's a software company. It's a software company owned by Wall Street banks. And the Wall Street banks you know, have decided uh, because Putin is ag being aggressive in Ukraine, he's a war, he's a warring uh, state and he's a imperialistic state. And so then they've turned the SWIFT system off. So not only have they provoked uh, Ukraine, into you provoked Russia into a war with Ukraine, but then they're calling Russia the aggressor and they're not buying Russian oil and they've locked out Russia's ability to earn any money. So Russia has uh, turned around to its neighbors and said, hey, let's, uh, we've been working on cryptocurrencies for a while. There's a crypto ruble and a crypto yuan, Chinese yuan. And India is also involved and they've been building these crypto things because, you know, of course, blockchain technology has been around for a while and Bitcoin's been around for a while. So people have been looking at PayPal and they've been looking at Bitcoin and they've been developing financial software. And so now 
Russia and China and India and all these Eurasian states are now circumventing the SWIFT system. So it looks like America, you know, tried to hurt Russia, but what's happening is they're forcing Russia's hand into um, using cryptocurrencies with their neighbors. And this is going to create the cryptocurrency rollout. And the cryptocurrency rollout is going to be very dangerous because people are so sick of the dollar that they're going to um, look at using something else and it's going gonna, it's gonna to speed up the rollout. So there's been a cryptocurrency boom for a while. It's been kind of under the weather because uh, most of the uh, America talk media tries to poo-poo it and, you know, uh, Warren Buffett called Bitcoin rat poison and all ki those kinds of things. But, you know, they're trying to lower its price and they have lowered its price blade by using the news to kind of poo-poo it and, you know, say it's for terrorist activities and blah, blah, blah. But the crypto technology keeps moving on because it's faster, it's cheaper, it's better. There's partnerships going on. And so uh, we see that uh, China, that because the U.S. has shut down the uh, use of Russia to uh, allow them to use the SWIFT system. Russia has turned to its neighbors and started using electronic payment uh, settlement systems. That's what they're called. They're called payment settlement systems. And one of those settlement systems is, you know, a China for Russia ruble exchange. And the news has come out when I actually uh, scheduled this room. There was no news of Russia using that, but there was news that Russia was frustrated because there's $50 billion of revenue that come into Russia every day for its oil. And Russia needs that money, especially when it's engaged in a, uh, in a uh, foreign conflict with a neighbor, a military conflict with a neighbor. So what is America really doing? First, we're provoking things with NATO, and then we're um, you know, um, having... Uh, having the SWIFT system shut off. And so, yeah, we're making moves, but are these moves really going to help America? Um, on Mar It's been long known since December that the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates a bunch of different times because inflation is, being, is taking over this country. But, you know, it doesn't help to go into war and ban someone's oil. That just raises rates as well because then you raise the price of gasoline and everything. But anyway, going back to the story, which is... Um, you know, we have um, had uh, a Federal Reserve policy that they were going to raise rates several times, up to between four and seven times this year. And raising interest rates, what it does is it constricts the money supply in the economy and the economy pulls back. It's almost like a braking mechanism. And the idea is to use that mechanism to slow down the creeping of inflation. But then war creates shortages and increases inflation. So now um, you're doing two different things. So uh, we don't know what's up and who's doing what. But anyway, the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank is Jerome Powell. He's been a very confident character, you know, saying we're going to keep printing money, then we're going to raise rates, and we're going to have everything under control eventually. You know, these guys think they have answers to everything. But um, a few days ago, after I scheduled this room, I, f I heard Jerome Powell make a statement that I would, I never thought I would publicly hear, especially before things got bad. So I, I, I figured sometimes they'll concede defeat after its defeat. But the, the, the words that he uttered actually uh, made my jaw drop. And, you know, I'm not going to spin it for you guys. I'm going to actually tell you what he said. He actually admitted in a press conference. Uh, and, of course, they don't plaster this on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News because they don't want Americans to panic. So... There is a real, uh, real censorship of news here.
and I bet they manipulate the American public. Anyway, Jerome Powell made a very, very amazing or actually scary statement. I never thought he would do this, but he actually conceded before the death of the dollar that the dollar might see its end. He addresses a question here as to what's going to happen if the dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency and what's going to start to happen and how long it's going to take. So again, I'm not going to spin it. I'm going to let you hear it from the horse's mouth. And it may be a little bit, uh, you know, fuzzy. I apologize for the quality of the sound. But here we go. Um, uh, the question is, if, if some want to move away from the dollar, what will be the effect on us? I don't think it's something you would feel right away over time. Uh, they would have to create an, eco an ecosystem, economic ecosystem, whereby another currency becomes, uh, uh, you know, a better, a better currency for them to use. Um, you know, what we can do is we can make the dollar the most attractive currency by continuing to have the rule of law and, and open capital accounts and, and make it an attractive place for people to invest and to use in their businesses. There, there wouldn't be any short-term effect of that over time, though. Um, you know, it would, it would, uh, it would, I suppose it would diminish our, our, our status as the reserve currency. It's also possible to have more than one large reserve currency and... So it would diminish our status as the world reserve currency. I never thought I'd hear this guy utter those words, but they're very, very important words. And he basically said, look, we have to make our economy attractive. But if you're going into war, you're raising gas prices and you're running inflation and then trying to do uh, interest rate hikes. I mean, you're just kind of crashing your car all over the place. You're definitely not driving it down a straight road where you know where it's going to end up. This is pretty scary stuff. And it's really, really shocking coming from his mouth. And if you see the video, you'll see that he's kind of clasping his hands. And usually he's a very, very confident, polished public speaker. These Fed guys are like econ professors at the turbocharged level. Then he just kind of jumbles his words because he knows, he knows that um, he is the Fed chairman sitting over a monumental time in U.S. history where we go from the upslope to the downslope and he's riding the roller coaster on the down and maybe even uh, being in charge of like being under fire for having one of the largest recessions ever. Anyway, um, the, the, the move of not allowing Russia to use the SWIFT system is now coming back to bite uh, the United States. And you can hear the crypto folks are talking about it because the news is coming out that Russia is selling goods on the international market. They're selling oil, they're selling lumber. You know, China's factories are still cranking. And then China's got the shipment of the one, one belt, one road system to Europe. And you know, it's, it's, it's going on. I mean, they're doing war, but at the same time, they're also doing transactions because they need the money badly. So here's a crypto person talking about what is going on in Russia. Again, this is the news that's not being shared with you. It's one of the reasons why we have these rooms is to listen in on what these guys are talking about. And this is a crypto blogger. He's on Twitter. He's in touch with a lot of the people. He follows the CEO of one of the largest companies in crypto, which is XRP, which is Ripple. He knows all about Ethereum. He knows all about Bitcoin and he knows about crypto adoption and he's waiting for it. Um, and so here he goes. Let's listen to him. And it's right here. Kremlin reveals new independent Russian-Chinese financial 
Sorry, I has reported that they're looking to work around Swift. And it's right here. Kremlin reveals new independent Russian-Chinese financial system. We also know that India has reported that they're looking to work around SWIFT sanctions and work directly with Russia as well, possibly using the digital yuan even. Okay, so what's going on is that people are circumventing the SWIFT system because they have the technology to do it. You know, you can't close the front door on somebody and make when you know there's a back door open. It's just stupid. And then, you know, um, the United States has been printing money for, you know, since, like I said, since Obama time, Trump time and Biden time, they've all been doing it. Of course, they're all different politicians, we know, but no, at the same time, they all kind of seem to do the same thing. They have different rhetoric, but they all seem to do the same thing. They sign things on for the bankers. They sign things on for the warmongers and they sign things on for the um, oil men. Anyway, um, you know, so these uh, Chinese Russian and Indian countries are now exchanging uh, their currencies and doing trade on the world market outside of the SWIFT system. So voila, there it goes. And if people are buying um, oil on the global market and not using the dollar, then I guess the petrodollar is over. This is the end. Uh, how many people can we bomb? How many other countries can we, uh, you know, uh, bomb back into the Stone Ages for doing this kind of stuff? We're already at war with Russia, so why does Russia even care? And so what they're doing is they're showing and they're giving an example. India, Russia, and China are giving example to all the little countries that, hey, look, this is our system. Do business with us. You don't have to go through those Western guys over there. We're Eastern guys over here, and we're all family and friends on the same continent. Um, so they're looking pretty good to each other right now. And what's happening then is that if we do the rate hikes at the Fed and we have uh, people going around the petrodollar and lowering the demand for dollars, you know, we're going to go into a deep, deep, deep recession. And so this is the um, this is this is close to the end. And what I will say is that the world and the BRICS nations the have been talking about the fact that the United States has gone from the from 20 percent down to 15 percent of global trade through the dollar. That's one-seventh of all the trade in the world. That's pretty good because America's population is only one-fifth and America's consumption is only one-fifth of the world population. So we're much smaller than our percentage in the world stage. And that means that the um, International Monetary Fund is looking at the dollar. They used to have the dollar in the utmost top of the hill position, which was 40% of the basket of uh, major currencies that stabilized the entire world currency. That's called the SDR, the special drawing rights. And it's almost like you take six bamboo sticks and you fuse them together. So they become really, really strong fused together. And then when you form this bond, you fuse them together and you anchor them, then they can hold up all the other currencies. And all the other currencies are measured against these six. Well, anyway, United States is, there were five and the United States was top dog. Uh, it has the highest share of the SDRs allocated to the dollar. Then there's the pound, there's the ruble, there's the euro, and there's the Japanese yen. Well, we know Japan has gone downhill, and America's kind of going downhill. So the ruble and the um, Jap the ruble and the euro and the pound are pretty strong. And then um, euro also printed money for COVID, and so euro's gone down. So that leaves us with Russia and um, the British pound. And then in 2018, China was added to the five currencies and added 
as the sixth because China was just becoming such a big, big economy and it affected the world. So if the United States is going to be demoted in the spreadsheet, the dollar is going to be demoted, then the other ones have to be lifted up because the spreadsheet has to equal equal 1.0. So if 40% of the dollar is demoted to 20%, then the other currencies get a boost. And this is one of the big things I wanted to talk about. It's taken me three episodes to get here. But if there's the death of the dollar and the Swiss banks in Basel, Switzerland, where the IMF is located, don't see that the dollar is carrying its weight on the global market, and everybody knows it's not, and everybody knows it's diluted, they're going to change the ratios in the International Monetary Fund for the dollar. And that changing of ratios is known as a global currency reset. A global currency reset. You know, they're going to take the percentage and they're going to lower it. What's that going to do? It's going to lower the dollar's value against all other currencies in the world, which means everything that's sold from America is going to be on sale in the rest of the world. And everything that America brings in from the from the world is going to is going to become more expensive 20 30 percent more expensive so if you think inflation's going away no it's not if we have a global currency reset anyway allahu alam allah is the master he gives these evil people the ability to uh, spread riba and to print money and to create fake money he also gives them the ability to create cryptocurrencies and digital technology and these things are coming to a head and so we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's what's ahead. But we do know that America has been printing money and causing trouble and kind of driving the bus towards the cliff without fixing its problems. America could have said in Trump's time, hey, you know what, let's take, let's take one. Let's have a small recession here. Let's raise rates. Let's reset and stop printing. But no, they didn't do that. And then COVID came. And of course, you know, things went crazy. So I just ask all of you to consider the information if you need a background, you know, go to Muslim Econ Hub, Hub Episode 1, Muslim Econ Hub Episode 2. They're both in my profile. There's some good information in there. I try to keep the presentations, you know, about 25 minutes. And then I just want to close uh, with a discussion with Muslims, you know, to talk about, look, all this stuff is happening. We know from our tradition that there's a, a, a science called Akhiruzama. The science of the end times. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give power to people who are going to support and help create the Dajjalic system. And then there's going to be a certain individual known as Dajjal who comes and he's going to create fitna. He's also going to have extreme power. This is all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La hawla wa la illa billah. And what we know, what we need to be doing is thinking about our families, thinking about our debt situation thinking about how many, how our expenses are, you know, circling our wagons, looking for community, thinking about things that we need to do, uh, thinking about the skills that we have to share so that uh, we have reserves for other people, saving money so that if you, if you can save your family and someone else is in trouble, you can save them too. So what are we thinking about? What are we think we Muslims considering? Are we really awake? Are we really looking at the, the, the warnings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in his truthful book. Anyway, uh, I'll end here and I'll make just a quick dua that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, protect all the Muslims and protect all the innocent people who have to suffer through this fitna that is being created by a very powerful and corrupt and greedy and 
uh, interest-bearing few, and may the bankers and the oil men and the people who are creating this fitna, you know, um, uh, have fear in their hearts and stop. And if they don't stop that, and the, and they create this fitna, that the innocent, uh, you know, are able to survive to take care of their families. May Allah make us make it gentle, make the fitna and the tribulation gentle on people, and turn it around very quickly. So, inshallah, I'll end uh, again with the with this discussion. Thank you for giving me your attention today. I hope the clips were helpful um, to bring home some of the points that are going on. Um, there's a lot of uh, messages for me to do an overview of kind of a crypto room, and I can do that another time. But I think the geopolitics that are going on are extremely relevant right now. And so thank you again for your attention. Inshallah, if there's any questions, we'll address them. And uh, assalamu alaikum. I'll see you next time. Inshallah, let me see, uh, yeah, if there's any back channel messages, um, I'm going to bring folks up so for your attendance. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought I'd never hear this, but uh, I quoted, and maybe someone missed it, but the Federal Reserve Chairman talked about the uh, dollar losing its preeminence as the world reserve currency. And the one thing I forgot to mention is that, um, you know, I know, since 2016, uh, because I've been following this gold silver uh, YouTube page, uh, it's actually a gold silver um, person who goes around the world talking about monetary theory. He's really good to listen to. His name is Mike Mulroney, and it's called, and his website is called GoldSilver.com. That's where you go to buy gold coins, and and those guys have been tracking that Russia and China have been buying um, gold bullion in small amounts, you know, a couple percent of the market every month for the last five years or so. And it was 2016, it was going on. So um, someone had said that their goal, Russia and China's goal was to each have more than 30,000 tons of gold in their vaults to back up their currency. So while America was diluting the currency, um, you know, Russia and China have been solidifying their currency and making it more solid by A, when not printing it. Number two, uh, they're actually backing it by gold, which is the opposite of what the United States has been doing. So uh, we've seen the good times roll, and uh, they've been tightening their belts and getting stronger. So, Jazakallah khair, uh, Sister Zakia, you have a question, or you want to, the mic is yours. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, and thank you so much for having this room, Brother Azmet. Um, I think uh, when I see you having rooms like this, I do get a little bit more afraid because I know you're not somebody that uh, is an alarmist. So um, it seems like, Allahu uh, alim, we are heading for some tough times. And you mentioned that we could go into a recession. So what would a recession look like in, um, in the U.S.? I, I, I would love to hear that, please. I'm not sure if you heard my question. You're still muted, right? I did. I did hear the. Sorry, I, I forgot to turn on the mic. So economies study uh, uh, history all the time. They look at past recessions. Now, it's almost like an explosion, right? Every explosion is different, but um, every building collapses differently as well. So you can tell like what some of the main markers are, um, and we're we're. Uh, we're, we're right on the cusp of it. So we've been talking about recession in the United States for a long time, um, especially uh, even I remember the night that uh, Trump got elected. Um, a lot of people went on Twitter, my friends, people who were in the stock market, and they said, you know, they were liberals here in California. 
and they thought, oh man, it's over. This guy's gonna be fiscally responsible, and um, you know the good times were rolling with Obama and the money printing, and they were getting their money out of stock uh, that 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 same next day because they were they were so afraid. It was Tuesday night election results, right? So they had the stock markets on the morning, and I thought, oh my God, you know, it's over. And Dow Jones had just hit twenty thousand during Obama's time. Well, it's thirty four thousand now. So twenty thousand, and then you know uh, Trump kept the money printing going, and he kept the executive orders going. So uh, you know we were wrong then, but that was that was a time when people were actually in twenty sixteen they were expecting a recession. So it's been a long time coming, and a recession happens when uh, um, basically what happens is that the the consumerism or the money. So there's supply of money and there's demand from consumers. So one of the two dries out. And then uh, what happens is the supply and demand equilibrium starts to drop. So you know you always have supply of money and you have demand of consumers. You know buying all the goods, buying all the cars, and doing all their Amazon shopping. And so in two thousand and nine, what happened was that the hedge fund crisis created a supply shock, meaning the banks didn't have money to, because of the the hedge funds collapsing. The banks ran out of money, so they basically. Blamed the American public for something that they did. They had bet really long on on the housing uh, hedge funds, and when the housing hedge funds collapsed, they told the government, "You know what? If you don't give us seven hundred ninety billion dollars, the the engine of the economy is going to stop." And so, seven hundred ninety billion dollars was given to them, but the economy still went into a recession. And what happens with the recession is that people's people's cost of living goes up. So they stop going out. They stop buying extra things. They stop uh, eating steak. They start buying rice. And then what happens is the steak restaurants they they start to feel the pinch. So they buy less steak, right? They buy less wine, and then um, they kind of they're those consumers then uh, uh, that 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 are the wine and the steak suppliers. They feel the pinch. So they go home and stop buying expensive things. And so it's a it's a trigger reaction. It's almost like.、Um, Like dominoes, and what happens is that then companies look at their earnings per share and their quarterly earnings, and they say, "Well, you know what? I don't have any growth anymore. I'm I'm going to have to trim the fat." So they'll start laying off employees, and now we've got all these people that have no jobs, so they can't consume, and so the problem gets a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And so、uh, what happens in a recession is you, in the beginning of a recession is you have this small little tremors. And it starts to get worse and worse and worse, and then the tremors become bigger because more people are laid off, more people, you know,、uh, default on their cars. Their cars get towed away if they have loans. And then what happens really bad is that if people are out of a job really long time, then they start defaulting on the mortgages of their houses, and then their houses get seized, and you see families you're know, picking up and packing up and moving in with mom and dad. So the recession can get really deep, and in two thousand and eight to two thousand and fourteen, we saw the recession kind of hit、um, pretty much,、uh, pretty badly across America. The problem sitting in California and New York is, you know, we have tech companies here, and we kind of recover pretty quickly. So we don't really know what Middle America is going through, but the recession can spiral so far that it can turn into a depression. So two quarters of.、Uh, Uh, you know, three, four, or five percent down growth is is defined as a recession, and、um, uh, what what happens is right now what's happening is if people are going to the pump and they're putting their SUV at the gas pump, 
they're looking at the bill and going, oh my gosh, I just spent a hundred bucks to gas up this car and I have to use it for a week. So my gas expense has gone from, you know, $200 a month, my commuting to $500 a month if they're commuting. And so now they're going to pull back. And so we, in the last three weeks, have seen a lot of a massive amount of rate hikes, especially in the gas sector, but everything's gone up too. Milk's gone up. Rice has gone up. All those things have gone up. You just don't notice it as much as you've noticed in the, um, in the, at the gas station. That's the most extreme example of it. So that's what's happening. So, um, you know, you have to think about like what, what happens to my family if my husband gets laid off? What happens to my family if my wife doesn't have her side gig anymore? You know, how are we going to, you know, uh, tighten the belt and make it? Um, so that's the, that's the thing about recessions and looks like we're, we're, we're potentially on the cusp of it. And, um, the problem is also which, which news are you really going to listen to? Because, you know, we're all affected by the information that we consume through our ears. And so, um, there's a lot of lying going on in the, in, on television. Again, remember television is owned by oil and, uh, general electric interests and, um, CNBC and all these guys are, they want you to keep, they want you to stay in the markets because the markets mean the markets are more stable when people stay in. So they're going to tell you a story that's spun. And that's why I never spin anything. I always have you listen to the, the actual quotes. Um, so that's, that's, that's a little bit about recession. So may Allah protect us. Um, did that answer your question? Yes, thank you. And if there's no other questions, I went to ask another one. So I do you want to check your back channel first? Because I don't want to take up. I am. I am. I, I don't know if it's glitchy, but no, there are no raised hands and I don't have a back channel. Oh, I just got a couple raised hands. Let's go with your question while this person's coming up on stage. Okay, sure. So could you give us some quick tips that we could do as families to prepare for this? Because um, I, not only from what you're saying, but from what I'm seeing, you know, on, on um, different platforms and listening to different people, it seems like we're heading there. We just don't know when, inshallah. So what would you say families can do right now just to, I know it's unavoidable, but to sort of help us uh, to prepare in some small way? Yeah, I mean, the basic thing you can do is, um, number one, we have to have uh, our houses, our security secured, which means we have to have uh, enough, we have to pay our rent, pay our utilities, and make sure that our car, and we have at least one car in the family, it, or more, but I'm just keeping it at a minimum, is that one car in the family is actually paid off. Because, you know, God forbid you lose your job uh, within, a, you know, a month, the, the car company is going to start, you know, tagging you and um, they're going to potentially come. We lost you, brother Azmet. Don't know if you get me. Right. And so that's okay, number one. Then having cash on hand. We lost your brother when you said they will come. Oh, it's cut off there. Oh, sorry. Thank you for letting me know. So uh, I'm going to look at my Wi-Fi signal here. Um, so, so, you know, the car is owned by the bank, right? So if your car is leased or if your car is still on a loan, you know, you should try to 
look ahead and pay that off. As a recession is coming, those are the first things. Because if you lose your job, then you can't drive to interviews. You know, and uh, Uber is expensive as well, especially during peak times. And then the other thing is to have several thousand dollars to be able to sustain your bills if you're out of a job. I mean, I remember there was a time when I was out of my job in the dot-com boom. I lost my job and um, they, they laid me off at Thanksgiving and I was looking for work in the beginning of January and nobody's really focusing on hiring. So I had two and a half months of paying my mortgage and I had expenses. I had little kids. So, I mean, I was down eleven, twelve thousand dollars um, and I had the cash to sustain myself for a while. But because it was during the holidays, I actually had to call my father and borrow money to pay my mortgage. And uh, I learned a very valuable lesson then because the dot com boom, I wasn't thinking about losing my job. But during that time, I was like, you know what? Uh, why am I jumping around to these unstable companies? I went back to my uh, more stable company because I learned my lesson. It's like, yeah, it's a lower income, but I get a pension and I get uh, much more job stability. So I value job stability much more after that, uh, learning my lesson during that time. So, you know, thousands of dollars, if you can have one to $5,000 for sure in the, in the, in the bank cash that you can use. And, um, number two would be making sure that your housing is secured and you have a car that's paid off. So, and brother Marwan, assalamu alaikum. Thank you for coming up on stage. How are you, brother? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I'm going to mute the mic so there's no background noise. Sure. So I have kind of two questions or three questions, if it's um, possible. Uh, just back to the point of the car. Uh, if you have a car and it's going into a payment, should you, like, let's say you have a saving for, like, $10,000. Would you, and there is like at least, uh, like maybe there is a, a $12,000 left in that car. Would you suggest like at least pay half of that by your saving and keep something for a cash or how much would you suggest? So that is the first question. Uh, second question, uh, with all of this inflation in the prices and gas and all of that, would you suggest... Uh, people go kind of negotiate salary increase with their employer since employer throughout literally the last couple of years barely had any increase and the price increase of almost everything at least seven percent that is the minimum increase happening in everything around us yeah let's take those two (laughs) so first of all if you have cash and you you know I think you have to, every individual has to assess the situation and the stability of their job, right? I mean, if you own a spa, right, and you work in a spa, which is considered, you know, kind of a luxury good. People go to the spa when good times are rolling and they have money and they feel good, right? Um, it's very different from a chiropractor. A chiropractor is, you know, taking care of potentially injuries. But you own a spa or you work in a spa or you work in a um, tourist-related uh, industry, then you should be really talking to your spouse and your family about how to uh, how to pay something off. And if you have $10,000, I wouldn't recommend putting it on your car, but do you have family around you that if your car gets taken, that you can borrow a car or you can buy a cheaper used car, right? So right now, if I had a, a, a $12,000 car, I may be able, and I have $12,000 owned on it, owed on it, uh, I'm net zero, but maybe the cars can be sold for 15 and I can turn around and buy a, a car outright, 
you know, and put some cash in my pocket. So my son is about to get a job. So I told him, I said, you're not going to the car dealership and buying or leasing a new car. You're not doing that. Number one, he's, he's, mashallah, we're trying to avoid riba. But I'm telling him, I'm like, you're going to save for a few months and you're going to buy a six to $7,000 car with cash. That's going to be your car. You know, if you want to drive something fancy, you've got to get past the basics uh, before you do that. And so you have to have your basics secured. So I'm trying to teach that lesson to my son. Um, so hopefully that answers your question because people have loans on cars and sometimes the cars are actually more than the loans. They're, val- they're worth more. So, you know, you have to think about like securing a car or maybe having a, you know, your uncle or somebody has a car that you always have access to. You know, you don't want to blow the $10,000 that you have sitting in the bank, uh, but you have to have a car that you can secure. You know, you, you need to be able to secure a job. Um, and, and also right now, look, start looking for other jobs, look for safer jobs, more recession free jobs, right? Um, and, and see if you can get into a better industry. So you should always be looking ahead of, for a recession and always looking ahead for your career. Um, the second thing is that um, when, a rece- when a recession hits, companies feel the pinch as well. They see that their stocks aren't trading they're, if they're publicly traded companies or they see their business shrinking. So you going into your boss's office and saying, you know what, give me a cost of living allowance, my gas and everything is up. Um, that's probably not going to fly unless the person just really likes you and still has a lot of money coming in. But most times, recessions are going to going to feel a pinch everywhere. So the cost of living allowance is, is known as COLA, C-O-L-A. Um, it's also known as COLA. Like, I don't get enough COLA. My, my, my salary is now a diet COLA because it's not keeping up. So that's kind of like an econ joke. But one of the things here is to try to help people with the economic jargon that they hear on television. And um, there's a lot of jargon. I mean, it's very, very difficult as a layperson to understand what's going on in the markets. Uh, for instance, you know, the quote that I, uh, I played a little recording from Jerome Powell in, the, in, the, in, in this morning. Uh, sorry for the sound quality. Uh, the sound quality was going up and down. But I played a quote from Jerome Powell, and he said that uh, other countries are going to build their financial ecosystems, right? I mean, you know, why don't you just speak common language so people can understand what you're saying? You know, he's coding his language. He's, he's, he's purposely using technical jargon so that he can speak to people who are on his level and help them, but not help people understand what's actually going on. So if you're passively listening in your car to Jerome Powell and it's like, oh, Jerome Powell's and you're passively listening and you don't understand economic terms and he uses that term, you you probably passively listening, you won't even get it. You'll be like, oh, that was Jerome Powell. You know, he was talking about, um, oh, other countries' finance is getting better. But he's really talking about America taking it in the shins and potentially our life being severely severely disrupted of people in this country so you can see that these people are not trying to help you Uh, and one of the things is to try to break down this economic jargon um what he basically said is that the united states is losing its preeminent position as the world reserve currency he didn't even use the word petro you see what i'm saying he's very very careful to avoid the word petroleum dollar because he knows that that's going to trigger people at this time because of the gas prices. So these guys, even when they give you bad news and they come before you to try to tell you the truth, they cloak their truth. Um, so, you know, your question was, 
things are pretty bad. Inflation is rocketing. Can I go to my boss and ask for a pay raise to keep up with inflation? Chances are that's not going to work. But uh, if you feel like your company is inflation proof, or maybe your company is going to increase in its revenue, because some companies actually go up during inflation times, um, then uh, you sh- you you should consider it. But that's 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 a that's a tough decision because your boss may not be able to do that. Um, you know, doesn't have the ability to give raises whenever. But if he's an independent owner and he knows you can walk, you know, if you're a contract, if he's a contractor and you're his lead field engineer and you're like, you know what, I'm going to take off if you don't give me an extra allowance for my gas, he probably will give it to you. So it depends on your situation. You know, I know guys that um, uh, have been calling me and saying, you know what, I come to your house and it's the gas is really expensive, so I'm going to charge more. And I said, sure, you know, there's a guy who comes and uh, helps us out around the house and he comes, he's a, he's got a good rate, but he comes from pretty far to, to he's kind of a handyman. He, he asked for like an extra 40 bucks. I was like, okay, you can have it. So I gave him his raise, but it depends on, uh, you know, I just didn't want to lose the guy and I needed work done. So alhamdulillah, uh, hopefully that answers your question. It did, it did. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, so alhamdulillah. I, Oh, uh, Marwan, I think you had a third one, right? But I'm going to also look at my, uh, you had a third question. I'm also going to look in my back channel. I forgot my last question, to be honest, but uh, this is the two I was thinking about. Okay. Um, there's a, is my mic on? Yeah, it's on. So there's a question in the back channel that says, Assalamu alaikum, good to catch you live. Uh, I have a student loans uh, roughly split. Um, that have been paused during the pandemic. Should one try to pay off the uh, student loans to avoid paying interest? Uh, how much weight should a student loan borrowers put in the possibility of them eventually being forgiven? Um, you know, uh, student loan forgiveness, okay? That's a great political talking point. That's a great, great political talking point. But it's never, probably never going to happen. What you've seen the country do, which is, is during the COVID relief, is for the first time ever, America turned into a welfare state. A welfare state means they're just giving people money to live and they're excusing rent. Um, so they've done uh, UBI, which is universal basic income, giving people you know COVID relief. And they've done um, rent, uh, rent freezing. But you, did you notice they never said we're going to actually give pay off student loans? They're not going to forgive debt. The bankers are the ones. Um, so there's three groups of people that are known in the world to be above politicians. Um, and though they're called supra, supranational people, meaning they're, they're above politicians and they're above countries, right? Well, number one is the bankers. The bankers are above the politicians. They actually make or break the politicians. So the politicians work for them. And if you look at campaign contributions, you'll know that the largest uh, campaign contributions at any single time during a political run are made by the bankers. So I'll give you an example that when Hillary Clinton was running against Trump, um, the JP Morgan, which is one of the largest banks uh, in New York, the Wall Street Bank and investment bank, they had contributed 890,000 to Hillary's campaign, and they had contributed 910,000 to Trump's campaign. 
Okay, let that sink in. They contributed 890 to Hillary's campaign campaign and 910 to Trump's campaign. Okay, they're perfectly balancing their bets. They're putting money in both pockets because they know that anyone who eventually wins is going to be beholden to them. And they have the influence. They, they can get a meeting with Trump or Hillary anytime they want. They have a problem. They can lobby. Their lobbyer, lobbyists live in their offices. And the other thing is the $890 and the $910,000 that I quoted are actually uh, declared campaign contributions. Declared means it's what they actually will tell you they did on paper. But then there's way, way more contributions that happen through their vice presidents, through their senior vice presidents, through people who, who own shares in the company that are contributing. It's kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod situation. So you can ex- you can expect that Hillary and Trump got more than five times that amount from the bankers. And then, you know, there's Goldman Sachs and there's JP Morgan and then there's Chase Manhattan. And, you know, if you can if you can think about it, you know, we have this thing called the big money election. And that's why, because your little $90 or $27 is not going to, you know, uh, is not going to do it. It's really the big money. And then the big money also controls who gets to speak on stage, who gets the mic. Um, You know, it was famously quoted that every time Ron Paul or um, who who was the guy who ran for Virginia, I can't remember his name, Bernie Sanders spoke in, in those debates on television, they would cut it short and go to commercial. You know, it's kind of funny if you track it, it's pretty obvious. But anyway, the student loan question is that, yes, you should be paying off your student loan uh, as much as you can. You should be working as much as you can. Uh, Try not to, number one, try not to live off of it. Try to have an income where you have an income and you're not actually increasing your student loans. Um, Number two, you're trying to pay it off as much as quickly as possible, get a job as quickly as possible. A lot of students will be like, you know what, I'm burned out. I want to take a year off. Let me go travel Europe. It's like your student loans are are growing and you don't have a job. And the point of your education was to get a job and be independent. So the first thing you should do is to pay off your student loans. And, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates riba. So what you should do is, uh, you know, when you make your prayers, you should, uh, you should, in your heart, hate what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates and and very, very sincerely make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts you in a situ- situation that you can get away from what he hates, that he puts the risk in your hands that you can pay off. Um, and, and, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you. You know, I know people who've been in those situations and, you know, if they really, really despise it and they're very sincere, you know, there's a way, there's a way out. Um, and uh, I heard uh, Imam Zaid, I'll just uh, give you the story. I heard Imam Zaid talk about a person who called him and said, you know, today was the worst day. I just lost my job and I'm, I'm living literally hand to mouth and I'm going to be homeless in a few days. And uh, um, Imam Zaid, you know, spoke to him and said, look, <clears throat> I want you to go right now. I want you to go right now, make wudu and go find all the money that you have in your house everything you have and, and even if it's change in a drawer and the guy laughed he said you know imam zaid i have 12 dollars. that's all i've got and imam zaid said okay keep two and go take ten dollars out in the street and uh make wudu and then come back and 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 say your prayers and ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help you he said and also call your family tell them you love them and tell them that you might need them 
you know, tell your mom you love her. And uh, uh, the, uh, the guy, uh, you know, thanked Imam Zaid for the advice. And um, he, you know, he, he got off the phone. Um, two days later, Imam Zaid said that he got a call from this guy. He said that uh, the, the guy said that after he, he slept, you know, he kind of slept peacefully. He thought he wouldn't be able to sleep because he was so stressed out. He slept peacefully. The next morning, he got a call from a friend he hadn't in Canada who he had spoke to in 15 years. That friend called him because there was somebody in New York who needed somebody to work for them in an emergency situation. They needed somebody right away. And he hadn't, his friend hadn't thought of him in 15 years, but his name immediately popped up in his brain. And he called him and said, look, there's a job offer. I know you have a job, but maybe you want to consider working for my friend. So the guy called, he said, you know, I don't have a job now. And I've been, I've been looking for a job. And he called the guy in New York and he ended up with a job that was better and more secure than the job he originally had. Okay, this is a true story that I heard from Imam Zaid during a conference. And uh, SubhanAllah, you know, I was, uh, I was just uh, blown away by it. And so I thought I would share it. You know, there's, 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 when you, when you submit and you know that risk is from Allah, you know, you can, you can definitely trust in him and inshallah, you know, uh, there's ayahs in the Quran, there's du'as, there's salawat, there's kind of dhikr that you can do, but you have to make that turn and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing us with this stuff. If you are be getting anxiety because of looking at your loans, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a test in front of you. It's, it's a test and you have to be patient and trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So yes, pay off your loans as quickly as possible. If you can get an extra job, there's so many places that are looking for work right now. Um, even if it's a waiter or waitress job, and as long as it's halal means you can do it, you know, um, and, and, and there's a real, real shortage of people uh, that after COVID don't want to work. They don't want to be in public spaces because they're afraid they're going to breathe air and die. So take advantage of that and try to get jobs. And uh, the more effort you, you take, the more uh, rewards you'll get. So Jazakallah khair for the question and uh, hope that helps. I see another hand raised, so I'm going to bring someone else on the stage. I have a hard stop. I have a hard stop at 10 o'clock, but we can go until then, inshallah. Thank you for for uh, uh, honoring me by with your attendance and listening to what I have to say, inshallah. If it's of benefit, please make dua for myself, my family, my community, and uh, all your family and community as well, as I'm making dua for you as well, everyone. Assalamu alaikum, Lisa. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Asma. Thank you so much for having this room. And it's... I've, I've learned a lot from what you've presented. Um, you know, I, as far as Europe is concerned, I know that they have been hit with three major things, right? Brexit, COVID, Putin, um, in that chronological order over a period of time. So I'm wondering if there's any information that we can learn from what they are doing over there, because, you know, the war is happening on the ground over there in, in, in Europe and those nations. Um, is there any information of how they're dealing with it? Because I, I, I sense the fear here in the United States, um, like you had mentioned, um, some stories that are not being covered in the media for the United States specifically, but what about Europe? I mean, are they having the same concerns? Is it business as usual? I was just curious if you had any more information. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I just saw in the chat that 
my voice is breaking up. Is is can you flash your mic if it's good? Is is the my voice good? Oh, thank you. So yeah, just flash your mic if there's a problem, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll get. Uh, I don't read the chat because then it gets distracting with the thoughts. Um, so um, you know, one of the main problems that I experience is that when I listen to the news, I really often wonder if I'm getting the real truth. You know, you go to one station and you're getting one slanted view of the facts, and you go to another station, you get another slanted view of the facts. So I've basically kind of turned off the news. But I go to people who are um, like-minded in their opinions, and they give you sort of facts of what's happening on the ground. Um, and so, you know, I think the way that Brexit is presented in the United States is very different from the realities of Brexit. And I'll give you a, an example: is that you, the, each country that's in the European Union has to contribute a certain number of dollars. Or a certain number of currency every year to be part of the European Union. So there's this billion-dollar bureaucracy that sits in Brussels in Belgium that runs the European Union. It's a government, and you're supposed to England and Germany all have to contribute to that government. And so uh, I believe the don't quote me on the number, but it was something like ten billion. Uh, pounds a year was being contributed by the United Kingdom to be part of the European Union. Okay, and Germany contributes, and everything contributes. And then the UK looked at it and said, "Look, we're losing our sovereign nation, and there's cheap labor flooding in from other places because we're part of the European Union, and it's bringing our labor rates down." Um, It's causing more and more people who, who are hand to mouth, and this value proposition—the pros and cons of our of our billions of dollars—is not working for us. So they had this referendum, and the country voted on Brexit. So what what the news doesn't tell you is that it was actually a big decision for England. It's not a decision based on non-immigration. It's not a decision based purely on racism or xenophobia. Those elements are, of course, they're there because that's how voters get moved. But there's a bigger picture there. So anyway, I give you that example because these things are extremely complex. Um, the best thing I would say is that um, what really happens in Europe doesn't affect the United States as much as the recessions that how United States deals with its own recessions, because a lot of the states in the European Union have socialism. So you know, if you lose your job in Amsterdam, I mean, the government's going to take care of you. That's not a problem, and people tend to have uh, very, very high, high taxes and really good medical care, and then the government kind of just takes care of them. It's it's a very uh, hardcore socialist state. So you should. We mostly look at recessions that are happening in the United States for for history. So there was the dot com boom. And then you know uh, a lot of people ended up losing their jobs and leaving. At that time, there was tons and tons of programmers that were actually on immigration visas that just ended up taking dollars and going home. And then the hedge fund uh, recession was more like what we could experience today. So I think the European situation is very uh, different. The way people have families and the way they live. A lot of people live in joint family systems. Uh, joint family systems there, and and they still have relatives nearby. Whereas in the United States, if you're urban and you're far away from your family, the recession can affect you very differently. Um, so don't take 100% of what the news is going on uh, and saying. Uh, if you really want to have, if you really want a good news, credible news, um, I find that 
the best news is disguised in the most credible financial news. Meaning, if the financial news misleads you, then people will sh- the financial news will shut down. So, if you listen to Bloomberg Finance, Bloomberg Finance, which is uh, it's one of the cable channels that is an option on some packages, I find that Bloomberg Finance they talk mostly about money and shares and currency and all that stuff, but within that uh, discussion. You get more accurate news of actually what's happening, what how people are acting, you know, the revolutions that are happening and stuff like that. Um, what Fox and CNN and NBC will give you is their flavor of what they want you to consume. It's basically, um, you know, they 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 they're, they're going to give you a little bit of truth, but they spin it so much. There's so many opinion people on there, um, and one of the things I laugh as is is that you know um, Tesla has. Uh, Tesla stock has gone up about seven to twelve times in the last two years. It's it's really been one of the best performing companies in the world in terms of stock portfolio. And Elon Musk has gone from a rich guy to one of the richest guys in the world. But there's a guy who comes on CNBC Finance, and he's always telling people to sell their Tesla stock, and they keep having him on. And there's someone who tracks him and says that he's been on the news 47 times in the last uh, three or four years. He's been on the news 47 times, and every time he comes on the news, he says Tesla's not good. It's not going to perform. It's going to underperform. You should sell your stock because the value of the stock is much lower than it's what it's trading for today. He repeats the same thing, and he's on 47 times, right? So, if the news is putting that guy on, then why are we listening to him? Why is this news putting this guy on? Right? He has a zero track record of being right, but they keep putting him on. So you have to ask yourself the question about what kind of news you consume. So hopefully that helps. Do you have a follow up question? No, that was great. Thank you so much. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam. So I'll uh, reset the room. Um, you know, when I started this, set up this room on the weekend. Uh, I had a room on the weekend, which was my Muslim econ hub, and uh, I talked about the birth of the dollar. And so after that talk, I I created this title, "The Death of the Dollar and the Crypto Threat." Um, and I was thinking, well, you know, let's talk about the potential death of the dollar. So last Saturday, I opened this room, and it's only Thursday morning today, and I feel that the death of the dollar has already, you know, during the week on Monday, I, I I listened to what Jerome Powell said, and I saw that the death of the dollar is actually kind of here because by the on Saturday when I was making this room, there wasn't all this talk of Russia and China. You know, using uh, their crypto and their digital payment networks to to uh, help Russia, you know, continue to sell their goods on the market. At that time last week, you know, Biden was talking about uh, disabling the SWIFT system and basically locking Russia out of its wires. It's it's uh, it's wires, and Russia needs to sell about fifty billion dollars per day in terms of oil and goods. And so Russia turned to its neighbors this last week and said, "Look." They're not letting me use their, you know, they're using these dirty tactics. I mean, we're in war, but they're using their software lock lock us out. So we're going to uh, look at all the 
Eastern Euro-Asian nations. And we're going to talk to our friends and try to enable our crypto networks that we've been working on for years. So there's a Russian a crypto ruble and a crypto yuan and a crypto rupee that India has been working on. And so they've enabled their countries to um, turn on the, the crypto uh, exchange payment exchange networks. Um, and they're starting to circumvent the American system. And what's funny is that, you know, the SWIFT system is like the front door. So America locked the front door, but the windows in the back door are open. So it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of dumb to um, lock the front door and think you're secure and you're going to hurt somebody when they can come right in the back door and do what they want to do anyway. So um, the back door method now is, is the crypto uh, exchanges that are being uh, flared up in China and Russia. And my question is, is that, you know, America knows that this is, this was going to happen. They're not that dumb to like not know these crypto things have been going on for years and years. Uh, people have been in the crypto market since 2014. I mean, they're very, very sophisticated. And uh, Russia and China have been also, you know, building these things. And so um, we, you know, Biden had to have had advisors who knew this was going to go. So, um, you know, I think I think the 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 printing of the money and the global geopolitical situation and the shakiness of the U.S. dollar, uh, you know, everybody knows about it. The the only people who don't know about it are the people who listen to the news here and think everything's okay. Um, the stock market was pumped up today another few percent, and you can see every morning uh, BlackRock is uh, one of the asset managers, and the money's printed, and then BlackRock goes out in the market and just buys stock and, and, and pumps it all up again. And so um, there is this um, fake, uh, fake window dressing that's happening. And it's, you know, it's fed to us through the news. And what uh, is really happening is that, you know, we have stopped buying Russian oil, which actually jacks up the price. So the oil men benefit and Putin actually benefits, you know, the barrel of oil was selling for $60. Now it's selling for $130, $140 a barrel. So guess what? Putin's not selling it to America. That's 3 4%. Who cares? He's selling it to the rest of the world at 100% at markup. And then the other thing that's happening is that we closed him out of the SWIFT system. And he just turned around to his friends and he ena he's enabling uh, Russia and China and India are enabling their uh, crypto payment networks. And so now they're kicking the uh, petrodollar to the side and using a, you know a, an alternative method to go around the system and you know this system they're not going to go back they're not going to go back to the swift system when everything's hunky-dory and say oh yeah uh -huh. you know we'll throw our crypto systems away no they're going to use it because the crypto systems are much much better you know um one of the things i'll say is that i can put i can put a dollar in my pocket and fly it to pakistan and get it there faster than wiring my mother money in Pakistan. She's not gonna get the money till Tuesday. But if I put that dollar in my pocket and I go today, I can be there Saturday morning and I can uh, give it to her. So the SWIFT system is actually a telecommunications wire system. That's, that's 60 years old. And we all have PayPal and Venmo and Bitcoin you know, ability in our pockets and we can send money across the world within 20 minutes. So, you know, the, the, the technology is here and it's not going to go away. Um, uh, I have a, a hand raised or a comment. I'm going to go to the chat. Sometimes the chat's a little bit distracting, but, um, I think that, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know if anyone has read a question on the chat. Um, 
I said, I learned, I, I intend on accounting for price hikes. Um, Sister Hadia had a question. Um, no, there's no question in the chat. So I'm going back to the, to the mic, um, back to the hallway. I see you guys. I know a few more things have come in the chat. Um, I'm not going to get distracted by the chat because they're not questions. Sorry. So, uh, inshallah, hopefully our people are sharing good information in the chat. Um, there is a hand that's raised, so I'm going to go five more minutes and it's, uh, our, our brother Omar. So assalamu alaikum Omar. Are you on stage? Uh, you've got the mic. I'm going to mute. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Uh, I missed missed most of it. Thank you for replays. Uh, just jumped out of the shower, but I did have a question about crypto because I haven't been able to find an adequate answer. As I understand crypto, um, there is a utility for each of these currencies. For example, I've got, I've got one crypto that's like, you know, 0.0001 cent and the reason i bought like half a million coins or whatever it's because this particular cryptocurrency is used in smart contracting so what i realized and then there's others like bitcoin and ethereum that more of like they call it the gold reserve they don't necessarily transact but it's like a reserve currency right right my question is when we're investing in crypto presuming it's halal and we can do it and for like and more of a long-term investment, how do we pick and choose our cryptos um, in regards to the utility of the currency? Is there something as Muslims that we should be mindful of to look for that's better than others, or maybe the utility of the currency is questionable? Uh, could you give you're, us some guidance? You're killing me, man. You give me three minutes and ask me a question like that. <laughs> you might as well, like, uh, you know, just just drop a drop a grenade on my head. I'm, um, I'm going to assume it's a good question, then, right? It's a, it's a great question. You know, this is a this is a great question. It's a question that deserves probably two rooms. Um, number one, there's 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 all these things called coins, right? So I'll just tell you the most basic thing you have to know. One number one, blockchain is a type of technology. And it's a type of database that's a ledger. And it's the technology that enables something like Bitcoin and financial systems to be built. So it's the foundation. It's a technological foundation. A lot of people confuse blockchain and everything else. So number one, blockchain is a type of uh, technology. It's a type of database which enables Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin was written as a global currency, kind of like a mined gold. It's a digital gold product that you have to work to get and there's 18 million bitcoin in the world and it's going to go to 21 million and then it's going to stop so bitcoin's value is number one is that it's a digital money that's beyond banks right and it's its supply is fixed and its uh growth is going to be very slow it doesn't reach the 21 million dollar 21 million coin limit until 2040 that's actually fixed in the code. It's impossible to create until that time. So it's going to be more and more scarce, right? Because gold is scarce. That's why it has value. And the American dollar is not scarce, okay? The other thing is that people talk about Ethereum. I'm just going to talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're two very different things. Bitcoin is trying to be a currency. You use a Bitcoin to buy something, a Tesla. You can buy a Bitcoin, 
you can use a Bitcoin Tesla. So it's like a dollar. It's like a global digital dollar. Ethereum is actually a software company. It was built by this Russian guy. He spent $150,000 building this software, which is, uh, it's almost like an app store. Like it's the software that you can build an app on. So Ethereum is actually software that uh, Amazon and Alibaba and other businesses can do transactions on. So it's, it's almost like a payment software. Like think of it as a PayPal. So when you buy a Bitcoin, you're buying a currency. When you buy Ethereum, you're buying a share or a coin in this company, right? So investing in crypto. So are you investing in a gold product, which is Bitcoin? Or do you want to invest in Ethereum because you think that 10,000 companies all over the world are going to use Ethereum and Ethereum is going to be uh, the foundation of all these transactions. And so it's going to grow up, go up in value, right? Um, so that's kind of the basic answer is that they conflate the two, the word coins and currency, but you either have to really look at, say, am I buying Litecoin or Bitcoin, which are currencies, or am I buying Ethereum and Solano and Cardano and Ripple, which are software payment companies, okay? So do you want to invest in a currency or do you want to invest in a company that has a coin, like a share? So my advice is stay in the top 15 coins and uh, look at their business use case. Most people are going to plug their coins. If you go to some Solano uh, YouTube page, the guy's going to talk all about how Solano is going to be the greatest thing in the world. Are you going to listen to that guy and put your money in there? Because, you know, he's biased. So you, a lot of us don't have the sophistication to understand their partnerships and their technology. But go to people who like really know that there's value. If there's no value in it, if you think you're buying some uh, 0.0012 Bitcoin that just sounds like Bitcoin, you're completely speculating. And that market may completely collapse. So what I would say is that your real money will disappear in the crypto world if you're not careful. Careful. Make sure you invest in software companies or coins that are going to be used somehow in the future. It's going to be rocky for the next two, three years. And thousands of these coins are going to disappear and just go bankrupt. I can start a coin today with Omar and I can call it the Azmat Omar Clubhouse coin. We can start it today. And people will come and buy it because they're like, oh, wow, you know what? Somebody else comes and buys it after Clubhouse gets big, you know, I'll be rich. Well, we have no business plan. So invest your money in people that have business plans. So what I would suggest is, there's a reason the top 10 coins are in the top 10 crypto markets. If you don't really know how to dissect a coin and figure out its business, don't put your money in it. Don't speculate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you easy money. He won't give you any barakah. And so um, remember that blockchain is one thing. Bitcoin is one type of thing. Ethereum is another type of thing. And be careful and stay in the top 10. So, brother, I got to go. Jazakallah, you asked my question. I appreciate it, brother. That was a tough one. Uh, we can do another room if there's a demand. You can always back channel me. I'm going to go late to my meeting and just make sure the chat's not going crazy. Um, some people will probably correct me because I misstated something. But uh, Jazakallah khair for coming. Inshallah, thank you. And inshallah, I will uh, open up another room. I'm going to have a room done at least once a week. Just Muslim Econ Hub. And if you look at my picture, 
uh, use, look at the picture that I've used. Uh, something strange, really terrible, really weird is going on in that picture. I don't know what it is, but I know that picture was really, really taken. And uh, just ponder it. Just ponder what, what potentially could be going on. And I will start to close with the dua. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wal asr innan insan lafi qusr. Illa alladhina amanu wa amal as-salihati wa tawasaw bil-haqqi wa tawasaw bil-sabr. And close with the salawat. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us all to understand and hold on to the rope of Allah and the love of his messenger. Assalamu alaikum.